seed that goes all the way back to the very beginning of Christianity. In fact, it is dated all the way as early as three years after the resurrection and at the latest eight years. Listen to what some of these historians have said about it. The eminent scholar Jehoiakim Jeremiah says, it's the earliest tradition of all. Ulrich Wilkins says, it goes back to the oldest phase of all in history of primitive Christianity. What we're about to read, our followers of Jesus have been doing this for 2,000 years. Listen to this. It goes back to the oldest phase of all of history of primitive Christianity. It's free from legendary contamination. It's unambiguous. It's specific. And that it's ultimately rooted in eyewitness accounts. We have the privilege of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ by reading straight from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is our focal passage today. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8. Will you read it aloud with me? For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you, thank you for loving us, for pursuing us, that before the foundation of the earth, you knew you were going to give your life for us. You love us and you care for us. Thank you that you have risen from the grave. May our lives be lived differently because of that. May we not try to impress you. May we not work with sin management. Father, I pray that we would live just out of our gratefulness for what you've done for us. And may we be filled and empowered by your Holy Spirit. Father, again, we come to celebrate you and celebrate you alone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love what Mark Batterson said. He said, when Jesus walked out of the tomb on the third day, the word impossible was deleted from the dictionary. And what we want to talk about today is what I, I would guess you would say the same for most of you anyway, that this is the most, this is the greatest historical event that has ever taken place in the history of the universe. Now that's a huge statement to say, but it is. What happened on the cross and then three days later, if Jesus rose from the grave, then that is the greatest event that has ever happened in the history of the universe the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if he did not, if there was not that morning that he did not walk out, then all of our time is wasted. Our faith is not based on anything that could be supported. And it's based on just what we would hope for. And that is not the case at all. In fact, what we want to do today is to talk about what happened, but I want to spend most of our time on why it matters Peter, Paul, and the rest of the apostles claimed that Jesus appeared to hundreds of people, mostly of whom were still alive. And I think that's really important for us to realize that, that he didn't just appear and then those that he appeared to uh, died later and then they report this. No, it says that he appeared to over 500 people, most of whom were still alive, which means they could still be questioned. They were eyewitness accounts. In fact, 
It is, a, it is a fact of history that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified, was buried, and that on the third day his tomb was found empty. So whether you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ or not, all people, all historians, all religions do believe that there was a man named Jesus who lived in Nazareth, who was crucified, who was buried, and on the third day his tomb was empty. Even Josephus, who is a first century historian, he, he talks about this whole event of this very exact same thing, that Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and on the third day his tomb was empty. So you have to deal with the empty tomb. For just a minute, let me talk about uh, some of the ways that people have dealt with the empty tomb. Even skeptics have tried to explain away the empty tomb by using one of the following possibilities. One, the earliest explanation was that while the soldiers were guarding his tomb, they fell asleep and the disciples stole the body. Now, think about this for a moment. How would sleeping guards know the identity of the thieves? And then how are the disciples going to convince 500 people that the corpse that they stole is alive? And then why would the disciples later on give their lives for that, a thing that was not true? A second approach claims that the women stole the body. Well, once again, how would women overcome the 16 soldiers who were standing back to back to back to back? How would those women overcome 16 soldiers? And how would they, if they were even able to do that, how would they make the corpse of Jesus look alive? And why would they suffer and die for a lie? A third explanation is that the authorities stole the body. Well, let's think about that for a minute. They're the ones who stationed the guards in the first place so that nothing would happen to the body. And then when the disciples began to talk about uh, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, well, they could have easily, if they did steal the body, they could have then said, here it is, they, here they would produce the corpse. A fourth approach is the wrong tomb theory. That means that the grief-stricken women and the apostles went to the wrong tomb. They found it empty. But we know in Matthew 27 that the women saw where he was buried and Joseph of Arimathea, who gave his tomb for the burial, he would know where it was. The fifth and last explanation is called the swoon theory. Now, according to this view, Jesus did not actually die while he was on the cross after all he went through. And so he or his followers bribed the medical examiner to pronounce him dead. Then he revives himself in the tomb. He takes off all of the burial clothes, which would have wrapped him like a mummy, which would have suffocated him. But somehow he takes those burial clothes off. He shoves aside the several ton weighted tomb uh, stone. And then after he does all that, he overcomes 16 of the soldiers. That just doesn't make sense at all. There's only one reasonable explanation for the empty tomb. And that's that Jesus actually was raised from the dead. And then we see the changed lives that happen afterwards. Those who were cowering on the front end of the resurrection are now so courageous afterwards. You see, everything rises and falls, listen to this, on the truthfulness of the resurrection. Everything rises and falls on the truthfulness of the resurrection. I want to address one last question current belief and then uh, talk about what exactly happened and why it matters. But this current belief is probably one of the most dangerous of all belief systems. It actually is rooted very old, but now we hear it in a new way. 
And here's the belief. The belief is that the reality of God, listen to this, the reality of God is only as true as you feel and believe it to be true. That the reality of God is only as true as you feel his reality personally. It's called spiritual solipsism. An interesting word. Solipsism is the claim that the world exists only to the degree that we experience it and understand it personally. That the world exists only to the degree that we uh, experience it and understand it personally. How about this? Whatever works for you is true. Whatever's true for you, then that is truth. How about this? Everything rises and falls on what you can see, what you can touch, what you can feel, what you can understand. We've heard this all around us. That's just solipsism is what it is. Even those of us who have Mensa friends, those are the people with astronomically high IQs, of which I am not a member of that, says, would agree that they don't know everything. So until in the heart of your hearts, you base your life on the truth of the resurrection, not whether you feel it or not, but until in your heart of hearts, you base your life on the truth of the resurrection, you will hinge your entire life on whatever seems and feels right at the moment. Now, this is not saying emotions don't matter. It's just saying that not all emotions at all times can be trusted. And so it's important that we hinge our life on truth. If the resurrection is true, if Jesus was raised from the dead, why does it matter? And that's where I want us to spend the bulk of our time this morning. So I hope you have your Bibles and uh, we'll see where we are in 1 Corinthians 15. We're at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Think about this. In other words, when it says he's the first fruits of those who fall asleep, he's the first one who's been raised from the dead and still lives. Now, some of you are saying, hey, wait, 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 wait. That's totally not true. In fact, I can remember Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus raised him from the dead. Uh, a, a young woman named uh, Tabitha was raised, uh, was raised from the dead. So that's not true. No, 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 no. They were resuscitated and they ended up dying again, waiting for the resurrection uh, to be a final one. Jesus is the only one who's been resurrected and hasn't died again and won't die again, that he has defeated death. Let's continue at verse 21. For since death came through a man, that would be Adam. Remember, Adam tried to make life work apart from God. God had a plan. Adam hears it. Adam says, no, thank you. I think we'll try to do this on our own, which all of us can tend to do. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. That would be Jesus Christ. That the resurrection from the dead, which all of us would long for and want for, there would be hope. It all rests on one person, and that's Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to explain in verse 22. For as in Adam all die, meaning when you try to make life work apart from God, when you think I'm going to hopefully just live a better life, more better than, than less better, uh, I'll do a sin management program. Uh, at least I'm better than someone else through comparison. That's a hopeless way to live. For as in Adam all die, but listen to this, but in Christ all will be made alive. In Christ you will be made alive. But each in turn... 
Christ the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to the God the Father, after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. In verse 25, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I want us to focus our last bit of time on verse 25. I don't know that I have ever spent a lot of time with it. I know we've not talked about it here at New Cove. But verse 25 really is a game-changing verse. Listen to this. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. For he must reign, meaning he is reigning right now. All the enemy is still not under his feet technically, but he has already defeated it. We're just waiting for the end to come. Why is the end so slow in coming? It's because Jesus desires that all would give their heart to Jesus Christ. That if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ right now, that you would open your life to him. He delays his coming so that more people can come to know him. That's the only reason that he's delaying his coming. But he's already seated at the right hand of God. He is reigning, verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet and that last enemy to be destroyed is death. What does this mean? You read it? He's got this. He's got this. Jesus is now reigning between the already of the first resurrection of where he's been resurrected and the not yet of our resurrection when he comes to return. He's still in control even today. He's got this. In confusing and unpredictable moments like we're living in today, you don't have to wonder what God is doing. He's reigning as king. He's got this. Jesus has fully defeated the powers of darkness through the cross and his resurrection. And the final resurrection of all believers will mark the consummation of his victory. Until then, he's got this. So why does it matter? Why does it matter that Jesus rose from the grave? Why does his resurrection matter? Let me... Uh, share these with you. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus guarantees your resurrection too. God's rule in this world is coming to an end with a brand new beginning after that. And there is going to be an end. As we saw earlier, he said he would put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. There is an end coming when Jesus will return. And those of us who put our hope and trust in Jesus because of the resurrection, because Jesus has been raised from the grave, you and I, there is hope for us that guarantees our resurrection also. We don't have to fear death. Number two, the resurrection tells you that Jesus is with you. If he is risen from the grave and the Bible tells us that he sent his Holy Spirit to come and to dwell in us, those of us who choose to become followers of Jesus Christ, he's living in us. And we don't have to worry about dying. We don't have to worry that we're going by ourselves. In Psalm 23, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of very difficult times, even death, some feel this way about today. It says, I will feel no evil. Why? Because he is with us. In fact, Romans 8, 35 to 39, can anything separate us from the love of God, God, which is in Christ Jesus? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble, if we have calamity? 
Does, does it mean he doesn't love us if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these hardships, beside even the current pandemic, we are overwhelmingly victorious through Jesus Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. Not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not fears that we have today or worries about the what if of tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above, no power in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation, nothing that could ever be created could ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why does the resurrection matter? It matters because you have a resurrection coming. You get to be resurrected in the end. And until then, this resurrection tells you that Jesus is with you. Number three, the resurrection promises you all the grace you need now. Don't, don't check out yet because this, I think, probably is the most powerful one in particular for me. The resurrection promises you all the grace you need now. If your end has already been guaranteed... Since the resurrection of Jesus, we're now guaranteed resurrection. If our end has already been guaranteed that we're going to be raised from the dead, then all the grace we need along the way has been guaranteed as well. Doesn't that make sense? Or we never make it to our appointed end. If our end is taken care of, then there's enough grace to get us there. You are not on your own and you have the grace, you have the strength, you have the presence of Jesus to live with you. That's why the resurrection matters. That's why we would say put your hope and trust in Jesus. Whether you feel it or not has nothing to do with it. It's the power of what we know about Jesus Christ. How about this statement? Future grace always carries with it the promise of present grace. So that future grace that is promised to us, that guarantees us the promise of present grace. It's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Number four, the resurrection of Jesus leads us to live a life for something bigger than self-promotion or self-preservation. If I don't have to worry where I'm going to spend eternity, if I don't worry how I'm going to make it to the end, if I don't worry that I'm, I'm alone, then that frees me to live for something bigger than myself. It get, frees me to focus on others. It frees me to focus on meeting the needs of others around me and not worried about my own self-preservation because God's got this. He has me because I've given my life to Jesus Christ. The last the resurrection tells you that you always have a reason to be thankful, always. Even in current situations, as hard as this season is, we have seen this in this passage that Jesus is with us. And because of that, it gives us reason to celebrate today, even though this is a bit of a strange setting and a season for us. Jesus Christ, hadn't, his, his resurrection didn't change the, the, the fact that, that he's with us, but just because we have troubles of today. Let me close with a paradox. And here's this paradox. After all I've talked about the power of the resurrection and why it matters, I want to tell you three things God can't do for you. Three things that God can't do for you. And it's all found in most likely one of the first verses you ever heard as a, as a young person. It's John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting 
or eternal life. Three things God cannot do for you. Number one, he cannot love you any more than he already does. It says, for God so loved the world. He loved the world so much. He loved you even before you were formed. He loved you. He knew he would pursue you. He cannot love you any more than he already loves you. Number two, he cannot give you any more than he already has. He gave his only son. He gave that which was most precious to him, and he gave it to you. He cannot give you any more than he already has. And last of all, he cannot make it any more simple. He just can't. He can't make it any more simple that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in, clings to, relies upon him, whoever comes to the point says, Jesus, I'm tired of trying to make life work apart from you. I want to give my life to you. I trust you. I believe you. If you the Bible says if you just ask Jesus Christ to be your, your forgiver of your sins, he will do it. He will come and live in you. I heard it put this way. God goes where he's wanted. And so my question as I close this morning is, do you want him? And my prayer would be that you would pray this following prayer. It's not a magical prayer, but it is a prayer that goes like this. Jesus, right now, I choose to trust you with all of my life. And when you say all of my life, that means even the part that you can't understand, the part you can't control, the part you can't figure out, that you by faith trust him even with what you don't understand. I've tried to make life work apart from you, and it isn't working. It's not enough. My life is full of sin, and I just can't do enough good on my own. I admit that because of my sin, I need hope, hope that is found in Jesus. So here I am. I lay my past. I lay my present. I lay my future wide open before you. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for paying the full balance of my shortcomings, past, present, and even those tomorrow, by dying on the cross and rising from the grave. I trust you with my entire life. My prayer is that you would pray that prayer and know that once you invite Jesus to come to your heart, he's there and he will be with you. The resurrection matters. It matters. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that all of us would put our hope and trust in you. And for those who are considering to pray that prayer or for those who just have, Father, I pray that they would mean this from the deep recesses of their hearts, that they are tired of trying to make life work apart from you. And now they put their hope and trust in you. Father, for those of us who are already followers of Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us. And may I be grateful. May I live my life differently because I have you living in me and my resurrection is guaranteed and you're with me and you've given me grace and you've given me an opportunity to serve others around me. Father, I, I'm just thankful that you have opened your, your, your opportunity, given us an opportunity to receive you. Father, may we live our lives for you. May we open up every part of our life to you and trust you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So glad uh, that you are with us today. And I want to talk about some next steps in just a few moments. Uh, but at this time, I want you to hear an amazing song that will just 
pretty much summarize everything we've talked about. And it, it'll be a great song as you listen to it. Let the words, let the melody, let the harmonies uh, just come over you and let it express your heart. Uh, for those who call New Cove home, uh, there's a place for you to give your offerings. We're grateful for your, uh, your continued support. It makes a difference, and we're grateful for your, uh, for your support of the New Cove family. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We want to make sure that it's not just all that it's finished at this point of what we've uh, set up this morning. We want to encourage you to take some next steps. And before uh, you actually leave this feed, I want to encourage you to do a couple things. One, that as soon as you get through uh, with our, uh, our line this morning, I want you to go to newcupchurch.org slash respond. Newcupchurch.org slash respond. It'll take you just a moment. We want to know that you were here. There's a place for you uh, to write in any prayer requests you have. But here's how I want you to respond. In the prayer that we closed out with, there are basically four responses that you might have entertained. And I'd like to know where you landed on them. Number one response is, just did. You can write the word, just did. And just did basically means, I just did this. I just opened my life to Jesus Christ. The second response would be, already. That you already are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are here to celebrate the risen Christ. You've already made that commitment. Number three, not yet. Not yet means I'm considering it, but I've not yet made that decision. And then the fourth response is the word conversation. And what would I like for you to do is you write the word conversation there. And it means you would like to have some conversation with us. And we would be honored uh, to be able to spend some time with you and to answer any questions that you may have, to point you in directions not to force anything on you at all, but to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So that's found on newcupchurch.org slash respond. A little lower in that respond area is the thing called discussion plan and reading plan. And you'll be able to uh, see some discussion questions. There, so much of what we covered this morning, we want you to have interaction. We'd like for you to think through uh, things that you've heard this morning. If you have other folks in the house with you, for you to be able to have discussion. And we have a discussion guide off of this morning's message. And, um, and then uh, the last is a reading plan. And it's just, the reading plan is just helping us not to live in fear. And it's a seven-day plan found on our U version, And all of it is there uh, under the respond tab. And I think you'll find it very helpful. Uh, the last thing I want to encourage you to do uh, is just to keep praying for your neighbors. We want to be good neighbors as you're out walking, that you have an opportunity just to pray for those that, that you walk by. This week, we are putting together uh, some cards uh, just with a very few people who will be very careful in getting our cards and, uh, together. And we're going to be getting cards to you. We'll, we'll let you know about how to come pick them up uh, later this week. Uh, but we have cards and then gift cards to local restaurants uh, that we want you to write a note to your neighbor and then to give them a, a gift card to a local restaurant here. And just to be able to say, we care about you and we're praying for you and just a, another way for us to be good neighbors. It's just an opportunity for us to share the love of Jesus Christ in a very practical way. Thank you so much. Uh, for joining us this morning. I pray that God has spoken to you very clearly. I pray uh, that you have heard from God and that you responded to him. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord give you peace in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, 
in the name of the Holy Spirit. He is risen. He is risen indeed.